girl. <laughs> You're gonna hear me roar. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Katy Perry. Anybody? All right. Uh, sorry. If you have your Bibles, why don't we open them? Colossians chapter 3. It's good to have you. If you're visiting, my name is Mark, and I'm grateful that you've chosen to be with us. If this is your church, make it your church. Come and uh, hang out at Welcome Lunch sometime soon. Uh, we're having one of those today. Love to see it, the next one. Uh, I'm going to take the offering uh, as I get ready to pray. But today we're going to talk about uh, trusting and obeying. And we've been spending most of our time in this series talking about trusting, huge component of the Christian life. Uh, trusting and obeying are inextricable. You've got to have both. But today I'm going to f- focus in on obedience and what it is to live the obedient life. Uh, we've been talking a lot about storms and furnaces. If you've been to the services, you know what I'm talking about. But God is there in the midst of the trials of our life. Uh, but aren't you glad that life isn't just one storm and one furnace after another? Isn't it great to have like a, you know, a moment of respite or a long term where, you, where you're just kind of doing days? Anybody ever just done days? And things are pretty good. Maybe that's you right now. Things are pretty good. Here's what has to be happening in the everydayness of our life. We need to be building up our understanding of what it is to be Christ-like, of what it is to follow Jesus, so that when those storms and furnaces come, we're ready to trust and obey. So I'm going to talk about obedience today. Let me pray, and we'll take the offering, and we'll get going. Lord, thanks so much for your word. I pray that it is, uh, it is heard today, that people... Uh, understand what you used Paul to say to the Colossians and, and that they, they, they take it to themselves, they, they assimilate. If there's things going on in our lives, God, that, that aren't Jesus, that aren't reflecting his character and his, his actions, I pray that you'd help us to put those things to death, that you would enable us, God, to put on the things that are Christ and that we would live a life of obedience to you so that you get the glory that you deserve and so that we get the life that you've always wanted us to have. As always, you've got to push me out of the way so uh, you can speak in my place, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3 starts like this. If then you have been raised with Christ. It's a little bit about Colossians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a place called Colossae, hence Colossians. And uh, it's a church that was not, not, not unlike a lot of the other churches of its time. Uh, it, it needed primers. It needed to be reminded of this faith that they had all signed up to be a part of. And so in the first chapter... Paul does this incredible work of just describing the supremacy of Christ and explaining why he's worthy of our follow. And then in the second chapter, he addresses some of the things that were going on in Colossae specifically. Uh, in fact, this thing called Gnosticism was, was making a mess of things. Gnostics were those who were the hyper-spirituals. And so they thought they had, you know, kind of had the corner on the market on who God was and what he wanted. And, and, and so Paul spoke against them and the things that they were uh, promulgating there in the church. And then he gets to chapter 3, like he does in so many of his letters. He just gets all wheels on the ground practical. He just gets very, here's how it is. This is who we are. It's what we do. That's what our next series is. Uh, it's it's uh, how we do. And we're going to study one of the other letters that Paul writes, uh, a letter of, uh, to, to Titus, his friend. But here in Colossians, he's just going to say, here's, here's the Christian life. Here's the things that you need to be focused on so that you can be Christ-like. If then you have been raised with Christ, this is a picture that you see in baptism. And we had one of those a couple weeks ago where people go under the water. Uh, that means they've died to this old life, this old uh, Christ-less life. And they've been raised anew to a life with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, if you've been given a new life with him, then here's your marching orders. You ready? If you're, if you're taking notes in your Bible, underline this word. We've got two things, according to Paul here in Colossians, that we need to do. We need to, first of all, seek Everybody say seek. Seek. We need to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand 
of God. When you become a Christian, your priorities shift. You're no longer seeking the things that are here on this plane. You're seeking the things that God has for you. You're seeking the things that are above. And so that means you fashion your your words, your actions, your priorities around the things that are above. The second word here is verse 2. He says, set. Everybody say set. It's kind of like football. Seek, 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 set. I just came up with that. I don't know if that helps you. All right. But he wants us to seek the things above. And then he wants us to set our minds on the things that are where? Above. So here's, here's, here's the deal. Actions, obedience, outward stuff, set on or seeking things that are above. Things that go on inside of you, in your minds, focused on things above. Seek and set. Seek the things above. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's just this incredible truth, spiritual truth, that uh, we have died to our old selves and now we are hidden. We are protected. We're, we're behind the hedge, behind the wall that is Christ and his grace. Isn't that great? And we are able to do the things that he's called us to do. We are able to seek and set uh, our actions and our minds on things above because we are in Christ and he is in us. We're going to expound on that later. When Christ, who is your life, appears, we just sang about that. Come, Jesus, now. Let us be your bride, uh, ready for your arrival as the church. Now, when Christ, who is your life, appears in his second coming, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's our hope. Someday we're out of here. And we're in eternity with God and Jesus forever. Amen. I mean, that's, that's good stuff right there. Let's, let, I'm done. That's, that's good, right? He says, but this is who you are. You, if, you're a follower, if, you, if you've been raised with Christ, you seek things above and you set your mind on things above. That's the Christian goal. We talk about it around here in terms of surrendering to God. We exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. That's our mission. And so if you want kind of a verse-by-verse description of surrendering, there it is. Seek and set your mind. Seek, your, seek, seek to make your actions revolve around things above. Seek to set your mind on the things that are above. That's what it is to surrender to God. How you doing? How's that going? Is that going good? I don't know about you. I have good days. I have bad days. Now, sometimes I have to relearn things that I've known forever. Now, it's just kind of like this, this, this whole process. We, we have a, a, a theological word for it. It's called sanctification. It's, it's you becoming like Christ. You've accepted Christ, and he has saved you from your sin, and you have him as your eternity. But you are in the process now, after your salvation, it's a process called sanctification. You're trying to become like Jesus. And this is a, a two steps forward, three steps back process sometimes. And we have to learn things over and over again. And, 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 but isn't it great? With that grand goal, God gives us these like little sub-projects, these little opportunities to learn things. Can you think back on the times where you learned something in your relationship with Christ and you're like, ah, that seems right. I'm going to try to do that again. And you, and you did it again and you did it again. And all of a sudden the things that used to be anchors in your spiritual life are now cut away. You're free. And, and, and now you're not you know, free forever from failing in those areas again, but, but you're free. You're, you're better at those things. Isn't that true? And it's those little sub-projects that contribute to the whole goal. It's like, it's like when we got our house, uh, we had a grand vision of how this house was going to look when we were done. But it didn't happen in a day. In fact, lots of things had to happen before other things could happen. I was really glad we put a septic tank in before we started flushing our toilets. I thought that was a great idea. There's this process. And so it's the same in the spiritual life. It's process. Little projects that add to the greater goal. We're going to talk about those, those projects, those, this process that we're all in. 
I like to call it uh, uh, grace-driven obedience school. We're, we're going to answer this question today. How does grace-driven obedience work? Now, I, I put grace-driven in there because I don't want to be, as, as one of my favorite preachers says, I don't want to be someone who preaches uh, to you so that you can use the flesh to beat your flesh. Here's what that means if you're kind of unfamiliar with the Bible. The Bible talks about us putting this old self away. We'll call that the flesh. But here's what happens a lot of times in preaching. A guy gets up here and he says, here's the list. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Do this, do this, do this. In fact, this morning's message is going to sound a lot like that. And so you guys walk out of here and you're like, all right, I got my list. And then in your flesh, in your own strength, you seek to knock out the flesh that is controlling you. And maybe, listen, maybe you have some success for a little while, but you know what that's going to breed in you? Pride. You're going to have this spiritual pride because you're going to say, look what I did. And you're going to lose sight of the fact that anything good that happens in you spiritually is what God did through you. You can't beat the flesh with the flesh. The only thing that can stop the flesh is the grace of God. It says in the Bible, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, that it's by grace that you've been saved. Not by your works. Not by your flesh. So just so we're clear, this is a grace-driven process. Jesus, through us, accomplishes these things. In, the, uh, in this quest to become uh, seekers and setters and obedient in life to Christ. Four things today, or five, I don't know. We'll see how many we get to. Here we go. Kill the earth stuff in you. That's the first thing that Paul talks about. Kill the earth stuff in you. What am I talking about? Let me, let me show you. Paul says right here. Put to death, therefore, that's where I get the kill thing, what is earthly in you. Okay, now let's just make sure that we get this qualification here. He says put to death. He doesn't say put aside. He doesn't say put in the closet for a little while. He doesn't say put on the back burner. He says, put this to death. Christians, here's the deal. We've got to get angry at our sin. Now, most of us, we get angry after our sin. Why'd you let me do this, God? How, how could you let me get caught? No, that's, that's, that's misappropriated anger. We need to be angry on the front side. So that when sin comes as an opportunity, we're not just kind of like, oh, maybe we're like, hey, get out of here. We, we, we've got to be, we've got to put this stuff to death and be, and be active in that process. And so he's going to give us, he's not going to give us every sin. Uh, if we're grateful, uh, we don't have to list them all, but he's going to give us some biggies and they're all going to be sins of appetite. Let's look at them. First one, put these things to death. What is early in you? Se- uh, earthly, not early, earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire. This word sexual immorality is porneia. Uh, It's basically a big word that kind of you can clump all the sexual sins in. But Paul doesn't stop there. He uses three more words of qualification. Impurity, passion, and evil desire. All centered on this physical side of ourselves, the sexual side of us. You think Paul had a, 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 you know, a, a pretty big uh, you know, problem with the fact that sexual sin was so rampant in this church and that sexual sin would become one of the great appetites, it already was, the, one of the great things that would sway people uh, from following Jesus Christ? Yeah, he, he, that's why he mentions it in four different ways. We've got to have this, this side of us unlock. We've got to honor God with our physical selves. He says also, uh, get rid of or put to death covetousness covetousness that's hard to say um we don't we don't use the word covet a lot i don't know if you do i don't but like i don't say oh i'm coveting that all right uh but but here's if you want to picture covet covet is basically uh you can just kind of sum up in one word more i want more 
Now, more of some things is good. More, more Jesus, more righteousness, thumbs up. But more of the earth stuff, no bueno. You can't have it. You can't, you can't desire more of the things that God does not desire. But that's how we are. We're wired that way in our sin, in our old selves. We're wired. Listen, here, here's something else I heard from another preacher. Uh, he said, uh, people will always do what they love instead of what they know. Isn't that true? That's why uh, strawberry you know, shortcake is hard for you guys and me. Because I don't need it. No one has ever needed strawberry shortcake. But I love that stuff, man. Have you had the one at a Cheesecake Factory? It's as big as your head. It's awesome. So even though I don't need it, I, sh- I love, so I shove, right? I mean, that's how it works. But people will always do what they love. That's... That's why we're always talking to you about loving God. That's why the songs we sing, we sing about loving God. Why? Because you're going to follow your affections more than your understanding. That's why Paul's tackling this list first. He's going after the appetites of people. He's like, hey, man, these are the things that drive you. These are your earthly pursuits, the sexual side of you, everything else in general side of you, wanting more. I, I find it uh, n- not very ironic that my first word was more. My first word was more, first words were more chicken. <laughs> I've always been told this. It's a huge family joke that Mark's first words, you know, centered around food, more chicken. Apparently they hadn't given me enough. What can I say? You know, it's like, but how great, you know, I don't know how old I was, like 12, 14 months, something like that. How old when you talk? I don't know how old I was. But my first words totally gave away the, 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 my inner self, my unredeemed self, more. Yeah. He says, listen, this, this, this living for your appetites, this wanting more, it's idolatry. You're worshiping the stuff of this earth. He goes on and he says this, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. If I had another sermon, we'd talk about the wrath of God. I'd try to talk about it in a gracious way. But you know, the wrath of God is real. He's not playing around with sin. Now, I'm not a hellfire brimstone guy, but don't, you know, don't, don't come correct. Don't take me as soft. I believe that God deals with our sins. Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you, you thought you could get away with it. And, and like a guy I just talked to last service, you found out you couldn't and you figured out, hey, maybe I got to get this thing with God right. Because God doesn't let us mess around. Maybe for a time, but eventually the hammer comes down. It's another sermon for another time. Let's keep going. In these, in these areas of appetite, you too once walked when you were living in them. He said, that's your past. Everybody, listen, everybody comes from there, but you are no longer there. You've been raised with Christ. You're dead to this. And by God's grace in Christ, you can be free of these things. Verse eight, but now you must put them all away. You got to kill them. And he goes on with another list. Now, listen. As we read this list, which I know some of you are already doing, as we read this list, these are the things that are produced in us when our appetites in that previous list go unsatisfied. Ever been told no? How's that make you feel? No. You're telling me no? Do you know who I am? I'm me. I get what I want in the old self, in the old life, because it's all about, say it with me, me. And so when I am not served in my appetites, when I don't get more, Guess what I get? Angry. 
Now, anger here is this Greek word that kind of means slow boil. You know, you ever been in that situation where you're not watching the show you want to watch, and she's watching the show that she wants to watch, and you can't stand that dress anyway? And <laughs> Just say yes to it finally, all right? You know, just let's get out of here. You know why you're feeling that way, guys? Because your TV, it's my house. We should be watching the game. This is too close to home. Keep going. (laughs) You know what comes next? If you're not careful, if you don't catch sin, it progresses. Have you noticed this? It's never satisfied with step one. It likes to go further. And so anger that kind of gurgles inside of you becomes wrath. That's the overflow of your inside anger. It's you kind of going, I can't take this show anymore. And then you know what can happen after that? Once you've had that initial blow up, you can develop what's called malice. Malice is this thing that's kind of like this ongoing inner anger where usually it involves someone else and you're just mad at them. And so you spend time in your thoughts, evilly, evilly, uh, thinking of ways that this person can fail, be hurt. Like, wouldn't it be great if this guy was hit by a bus? Oh, that'd be awesome. Wouldn't it be great if, if they got fired? Because then I could have their job. Wouldn't it be great if, if uh, my wife started, stopped hanging out with her? Because I can't stand her. All of those evil thoughts that you generate over time, again and again and again, which, by the way, influence how you treat that person the next time you see them. They're all lumped into this idea of malice. Now, malice uh, has a way of seeping out through our mouths. It's called slander. So if we're thinking uh, angry thoughts about someone, uh, usually when they come up in conversation, we don't have a lot good to say. And so we malign their character. We come up with all their flaws. Even if they're real, it's inappropriate. Everybody gets that. It's called gossip and slander. And you can't just put, you know, a bless your heart on the end of it and make it okay. (laughs) Bless her heart. Now this next one, obscene talk. Everybody looks at that and everybody goes to the cuss words, the seven words you can't say on television. Certainly those are in there. Although there's fewer words now that you can't say on television. But the... Uh, but, or maybe it's, you know, talking dirty sexually or whatever. Sure, that's in there. But you know what this actually means? It means bombastic talk. And so I think in the context or in the flow of what's going here, basically you get mad at somebody, you talk about them when they're not there, and then finally when they are there, it's like a reality TV show. You just say what you think about them in front of them. Has anybody been in a situation where you're just kind of minding your own business, you know, eating at a fast food joint, and two people just start tearing it up? Has anybody ever seen that? Like they, they just kind of start saying things. Maybe they're not yelling and screaming, but you can hear them because they're in the next booth. And they're just saying things to each other that if they're husband and wife or child and parent, I mean, these words should never come out of your mouth to anybody. Like we say things to people that we love that we would never say to a stranger if they were in our face. Now, if they're behind a keyboard, you know, gloves are off. And we'll get to that later. But if they're in front of us, we would, we, would, we would always treat, you know, strangers with courtesy. I mean, mostly with courtesy, unless you're a real jerk and we can pray about all that later. But, the, but then we say things to people that we love. That come, Listen, it comes from a long burn of anger, bursts of wrath, malice, slander. When dad's not home, let's talk mess about him to the kids because he's the dirt ball that he is. And then when they would finally have a conflict to resolve... I don't have anything constructive to say, so here comes obscene talk. Blah. Oh, the self is a wicked thing. It goes for what it loves, which is itself. When it doesn't get what it wants, 
it takes that out on everybody. Paul says, kill that thing. Get rid of it. By the grace of God, be free of you. Gave AJ a flea bath last night. Let me qualify. AJ is my dog, just in case you thought it was my kid. But I gave AJ a flea bath the other night, and Eleanor and I were in there. And I, uh, if I've ever, you know, I don't usually give the dog a bath. I'll just confess that. If Eleanor's in the room, she'll check me on that later. But, uh, uh, but if I have given the dog a bath, they're not long baths. Because I can't be, it's a dog, right? Let's just, whatever. All right? Dry off, go away. But this time, it was a flea bath. This is different. Okay, not only are the fleas making my dog miserable, but the fleas are going to get in my house. So we've got to take care of the fleas. So that dog had the longest bath of his life. He was pickled at the end of this thing. Because we just kept spraying him down. And, and, and if you, you know, my dog's a cockapoo, barely a dog. That's what that breed is. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, as, as his hair gets wet, it's like human hair, and you can kind of see his And so we just, I mean, we scoured this dog. We picked fleas out of places I don't even want to talk about. But we tried to get every flea. Why? Because we don't want him to suffer, and we don't want them hanging out with us. That's, that's the difference now. That's the difference between and going thorough. Here, here's my point. If you're going to kill your sin, you've got to dig in. You've got to put that stuff under the sprayer for a long time. You're, you're going to have, it's, it's not going to, listen, by the grace of God, I believe it can happen in one day. But for most of us, victory over sin is going to take time. And effort, and God's grace, and his strength. Put those things to death. Make Christ your all. That's the second thing. Make Christ your all. Look what it says here. Do not lie to one another. It's, he's, he's continuing on in, in, in those things that happen as a result of our anger and wrath of mouth. Don't be liars. Can we all just agree that the best life is the honest life? I mean, has, has, has a lie ever tripped you up? And you've got to tell more lies to cover up the first lie, Right? Now, I always tell my kids, hey, listen, if you mess up, just say it. If you lie about it, I mean, if you mess up, you're grounded for a week. If you lie about it, you're grounded forever. Yeah, so don't lie. But instead, uh, as, as, as we seek not to lie to others, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which being, is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So what's the, who's, what's the creator of our new self? That's Jesus. Jesus has created our new self by dying on the cross and defeating the grave. Our faith in him has made us new. We've been raised with him, like he said in verse 1. So as the creator of our new self, here's what he's doing. He's renewing our knowledge of himself in us. That means he's constantly renewing, consistently renewing our knowledge. Anybody here forgotten a little bit about what it is to follow Christ from time to time? Have that spiritual amnesia I'm always talking about? Choose what you love over what you know. The old man wins, the new man loses. You, you see what I'm talking about. Here's the great thing. Even when you mess up, isn't this the great thing? God never gives up on us. He who began a good work in you, Paul says to the Philippians, is going to be faithful to complete it. You're going to mess up. But guess what happens? If you mess up and you're, you're, you're off the ranch for a day, a week, a month, a year, several years. You know what the grace of God is? The grace of God is that when you come back, Jesus says this. Where were we? Where were we? Let's start working on this again. Make him your own. Now, look what it says here, verse 11. 
as we make him our all, we're going to understand he's talking about the body of Christ here initially. Uh, he says this, here in the body of Christ, in, in the church in Colossae, there is not Jew, Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ, say it with me, is all and in all. All right. First of all, he goes off with all these qualifications. He's saying in the church, first of all, there's no racial distinctions. There shouldn't be racial distinctions in the church. One of the most racist hours or most racially divided hours historically in the, in the nation is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Did you know that? Because uh, historically, the white people went to church with the white people. The black people went to church with the black people. The Asians went with the Asians. All right. Now, look around. You're going to see people from different races in here. There needs to be more. So if you have some in your neighborhood kidnap them and bring them to church but but this i'm not don't clap for that you can't kidnap people that's bad but this needs to be a melting pot racially it means it needs to be a melting pot religiously that's the next line here circumcised and uncircumcised if if you're not familiar with the bible the, the jews were circumcised the gentiles were not and so it's talking about the religions the pagan religions versus the jewish religion he says, listen, in the body of Christ, we're all coming from different places, but when we arrive at Christ, we are the same. In Christ, not former Jews or former Gentiles, not former Methodists, Catholics, Baptists, whatever we got in here. Isn't it great that you're sitting in rows with people that you were grown up, probably told not to believe like them? <laughs> we're all hanging out in the same place. Why? What's brought us together? Jesus has brought us together. We are one in Christ. There's neither barbarian nor Scythian. You know what those are? Those were the dregs of society back then. The illiterates. The least of these. So we don't have least of these in the church. Everybody has the same importance in the body of Christ. He says even the slaves and the free. We don't have some kind of caste system, some kind of social pecking order. Everybody matters to Christ, so everybody matters to Christians. He says Christ is all. I can't add to the Bible. It's not my place. I'm not the fourth member of the Trinity. But if I could add to the Bible in this one plot, I would just make it clearer for us. Just so we can understand. Because Christ is all seems kind of obtuse. And how, what does that mean? It, it, what, here's what it means. Christ is all that matters. Here's what the, that's what that means. Paul's talking to the church at Colossae. He's talking to us today. And here's what he's telling us. Look, if, if you're a Christian, and even if you're not, just so you're clear, in the end, in all things... Christ is all that matters. Oh, man, if we could just figure that out as Christians, right? How would that revolutionize our lives? Christ in the front of us, Christ behind us, Christ in the middle, Christ above, Christ below, Christ on either side. Christ is all that matters. And the things that I choose in life, and the directions that I go in life, and the product of my life, Christ is all that matters. And, and listen, all these things, killing our sin, killing our flesh, making Christ all that matters. How is that possible? It's only possible because Christ is in all who have faith in him. He's the power source. He's the battery pack. He's the one who enables those who follow him to follow him. Christ is all that matters, and Christ is the go-go juice that leads us in this life with him. Could harp on that longer. But I'll just show you a video that'll help you kind of understand what he's talking about here a little bit more.
Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, <laughs> guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, <laughs> what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. And well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. And that's all I got to say about that. Can we look at the next one? Let his grace redeem your attitudes. Now, now we're going to shift. We talked about all the things that we need to kill. Let's talk about the things that we need to add. It says this, put on then. He's going to go clothing on us. Okay, this is the spiritual wardrobe that you and I need to wear. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Those are words that were usually reserved for, for Israel in the Old Testament. But Paul has uh, uh, ripped them out of the Old Testament and used them to, uh, to speak of the New Testament church. He says, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Everybody close your eyes. Picture all the stories you heard about Jesus. Can you picture Jesus embodying those qualities? Did Jesus have a compassionate heart? Yeah, blind Bartimaeus would probably agree with that. Because now he can see. The lame can walk. The, the deaf can hear. The, the mute can talk. I mean, Jesus was a healer. Jesus was the guy who said, hey, let those kids come on over here. Because he had compassion on them. Jesus was all about kindness. You know what that word means in Greek? The Greek word uh, here means basically uh, uh, aged as wine into a, into a, a softness or into a, a, a smoothness. There's no bitterness in, in this word. Uh, I always think of uh, like sweet grandmas. Anybody got a sweet grandma? I got a sweet grandma. She's just kind. She's, you know, she's 100 years old and she's just done with being mean, right? I mean, maybe she has bad days, but when I'm around, she's just kind. And I think everybody in here, spiritually speaking, has to let their inner grandma out. We need to be kind. We need to be humble. Was Jesus humble? He was the most humblest, humble guy in the world. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that he emptied himself. He became nothing so that we might have life through him. Humility, you know, the Greek language didn't even have a word for humility. It was so looked down upon in the Greek culture, nobody even talked about it. The Greeks sound like Americans to me. 
Humble? Why would you be humble? Get yours. You know? Kill or be killed. That humility is who we are. We need to put that on. Meekness. Everybody hears meekness and they think weakness. It's not. Meekness, talked about it before, but meekness is being in a position of strength and choosing still to lose. That would be great for arguments, wouldn't it? I mean, if people who are in the, in the position of strength in arguments... I'm talking about some spouses out there, maybe. Just being willing to lose. I think peace would reign in those situations a little bit more. Yeah, meekness is good. How about patience? Oh, let's not talk about patience. So we just struggle with patience. Some of you are like, man, I appreciate the word, but hurry up. You know, uh, Patience is one of those things that's just not a part of the old self. But in Christ, listen, we can learn patience. And patience can revolutionize our lives because once we've learned these attitudes and adopted these attitudes and grace has impacted how we are on the inside, it affects how we live on the outside. Look at this, uh, this next part. We need to let his grace flow to our relationships. We'll let his grace change our attitudes, but then once his grace has done that, guess what happens in our relationships? They get better. He says this in verse 13. As, as we do these things, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, we'll be able to bear with one another and if one has complaint against another, we'll be able to forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven us, so also we must forgive each other. That was in a prayer that he taught one time. Remember that? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, our debtors or those who trespass against us. Two big things here in relationships. Uh, one is this forbearance idea, bearing with one another. Uh, have you ever noticed that some of your fights start because they're, well, it's just stupid? Like, you're, you get done fighting, it's like, what, what the, how did that even start? Well, it's because two people went to the old self and dug in on the more, got angry, wrath, malice, all those things, maybe all at once, right? And, and, and then you had this fight, but then you, you got to the root of what it was about, and you're like, that was, that was just the dumbest thing for us to have a disagreement over. I mean, marriages, families end over the stupidest things sometimes. What if we, by the grace of God, had patience, meekness, humility, kindness, compassionate hearts? Do you think we could stay calm a little bit longer in our relationships? Do you think we could put up with someone else's stuff a little bit longer and love them anyway, which is the agape love we're taught to love with? How about forgiving others? You think if you had patience and meekness and humility and kindness and compassion, you'd be more apt to forgive? Again, if, I got a whole bunch of sermons from this one sermon, but if I, if I had time, I would just, mm, I would rail on forgiveness because forgiveness is one of the lost things in the Christian life that so many people are being held back by. Their lack of forgiveness. People don't understand that forgiveness is not for the person that you're forgiving, it's for you. It's for you to be free from the bondage of whatever this issue is with this other person. It's so that you can get up in the morning and not have malice and not have, you know, be prone to slander and be prone to obscene. It's, it's, it's for you. And people are always like, well, if they'll ask for forgiveness, I'll give it to them. No, I, I, I mean, I, I think that'd be great. But what's the wait for? I mean, if they ever come around, you, you can give them another layer of forgiveness. But in your hearts, if you're holding on to things, that's, the Bible calls that bitterness. And it's going to control you. No. 
by the grace of Christ. We can have our attitudes changed. And we can learn to bear with each other and forgive each other. And then finally, I'm going to skip down to the, to the last blank, if I can just do that. Skip the verse. Uh, yeah. We need to let his grace shape our thinking. We need to let his grace shape our thinking. It says this in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. You are called to peace with each other in the body of Christ, and you are called to peace as an individual in your heart. Now, there's this one rule, that I, and, and, and one word that I want to bring up there. It says, be thankful. I'm not going to have time to cover all this, but three times in the next three verses it says, be thankful. Oh, and by the way, be thankful. Just so you know, uh, the, the way to combat the covetousness in you, more, is to be thankful for what God has given you and content with the life that you have. I'm not saying that you shouldn't strive. I'm not saying that you shouldn't seek to improve, but you shouldn't worship those things. And certainly, if those things don't work out, doesn't, it, it's not a, an excuse for you to be mad at God, disappointed with God. You should be, say it with me, thankful. But the point I want to bring out in this verse is this. It says, let the peace of Christ, and what's the next word? Rule. Rule. Where, where do things rule? Like, uh, okay, you can rule from the throne. So maybe it's talking about, you know, you know be in charge. Or maybe, and this is how the word is actually used in, this, in the Greek uh, sentence here, maybe it's talking about uh, let the peace of God determine in your life the decisions that you make, the directions that you go. It's like ruling like an umpire. Let, let the peace of God make the calls in your life. Now, with the time we got left, here's what I want to share with you. something I heard from another pastor, a guy named Pete Briscoe. He's my former uh, boss in Dallas. Uh, and he shared this with his church. I thought it was worth sharing with you. So uh, I'll leave this up here if you want to take a picture of it after. If you want to write it down in your notes, you've got room, you can still do that. But this is called a decision tree. And he just wanted to share with his body, and I want to share with you, uh, the ways that he makes decisions. The ways that he allows the peace of God or the presence of God in his life to rule in the stances and the, the positions that he takes. Uh, he, he talks, first of all, about praying. Anytime you're going to make a decision about what you're going to think or what you're going to do, uh, Pray. And, and that's not a throwaway box. M- make sure that you consult the God of the universe. Hey, is it, uh, listen, help me with this choice. Help me to discern what you want. Lead me. Pray. The second thing that you do when it comes to any decision in your life is you go to the Bible. That's God's revealed word. It's, it's, it's him you know, in, in a book saying, this is what I want, what I don't want. And he covers a lot of stuff in there. Have you read it? There's lots of stuff in there that he says, hey, let's not do this. So let's just cover some of the things that maybe you'd be like, well, I don't know what God says about this. The Bible does. Like taxes, who likes paying their taxes? Anybody like paying their taxes? I have never asked that question and had someone say, yes, it's awesome. No one likes paying their taxes. If we could all get around it, we would. There's some Christians who say, well, because I disagree with the government and the stances that they've taken, the choices that they've made with health care or whatever, I'm not going to pay my taxes. And they feel righteous in that choice. Here's the only problem. The Bible says... Pay your taxes. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Obey the rules of your government. Romans chapter 13, verse 5. Like word for word, pay your taxes. You can't dance on that one. You can't be, well, in the Greek it means, no, you just pay your taxes. It just says it. Let's go to alcohol. Here we go. This will be fun. You know what the Bible says about alcohol? Uh, some things, not a lot of things. It doesn't say like, you know, two and that's it. But here's what it does says. Do not be drunk with wine. 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, there's no, there's no Greek gymnastics you can do with that one. You don't get drunk, and you don't get to be like, well, it was my cousin's wedding. So obviously it was okay. No, you don't get the bonus wedding. You don't get the freebie, you know, night out with your friends. You just don't get drunk. Sorry. That's just what the Bible says. Now, some people have taken that to say, I should never drink. And they maybe go through this decision tree, and that's, that's where they come up with, you know, I'm not going to drink at all. That's fine. Some people say, no, I'm going I'm to have a drink occasionally. I like a beer with some fajitas every once in a while. I probably have six beers a year. Not all at once, just spread out. <laughs> but that's where God's led me on that. But, but listen, we can disagree on whether you should consume or not consume. I grew up in churches that said we will not consume, right? But, but we can all agree or should all agree that the Bible says don't get drunk. It's in there. And if it's in there, you're done. So I'm going to make a decision about some issue in life. If it's in the Bible, yes, whatever the Bible says goes finished, done. All right. Now, a lot of times this is what happens. Is it in the Bible? Not really. I mean, there's things that kind of talk around it, but because it's a 2000 year old book and, or, or older and, and some of the things in our culture weren't around back then. I mean, we got to figure it out. Sometimes, sometimes it's just an emphatic, no, this isn't in there at all. Well, when that happens, what do you do? Well, you, you make sure you're informed. God doesn't want us going off half-cocked half, with half the information in some of these situations and making decisions just because it feels spiritual or it sounds righteous. That, that's, that's where we fall into things like legalism. Or he doesn't want us going off into, into some kind of choices that are going to be against him in his character. Uh, that's called license. And, and, and usually we're, we're on either one side or the other of that fence. Or, or maybe it switches from issue to issue. Maybe in one, areas we're really, in one area we're really lenient, in other areas we're like, no, we're kind of stiff. But, but we'll, here's what we'll do. We'll hear the, the issue and we'll think, no, this is what I think, and that's it. Okay, careful now. Did God make us thinking beings? Everybody got a brain out here? He wants us to sort through stuff. And sometimes we have to honestly say, well, no. If the answer is yes to that question, we're going to go to the next step. But if the answer is no to that question, well, then, then it's my job now to learn i got to find out some stuff. And I think you should do this in, in, in every situation. Even the stuff that you think, this is just a given. If it's not in Scripture, think about it. Get informed. One of the best ways that you can get informed is talk with someone who is not leaning in the direction that you are. Not so that you can argue with them. Not so that you can blast them with your keyboard on Facebook. But so that you can learn, genuinely learn, their side of the story. One of my favorite things to do with my kids when they were little was, uh, I called it a cheap date. I wouldn't buy them anything, but I would take them to the bookstore like Barnes & Noble or one of those bookstores, and they could read all the kids' books they wanted, two hours worth, have fun. And then we'd walk out and not pay for anything. Sorry if that's bad, but that's what we would do, right? I would sit in a chair. I'd, I'd settle up there, and I, you know what? I'd go, I, I didn't go to the Christian books section. If I, I do read Christian books, but if I'm going to read them, I'll just get them, and I'll, I'll, you know, back then I would buy them, or now I'll just get them on my Kindle, and I'll just read them here. But while I'm there, you know what I do? I go to the, the, the bestsellers list, the bestsellers section, and I always try to find a book on atheism because there's always one in the top 20 books on the bestsellers list, always. And you're like, Mark, you're reading a book on atheists? Dang tootin' I am. They're my target audience. I'm trying to reach those buggers for Jesus, right? But here's the deal. 
People, listen, this is what happens in, in Christendom. People see atheists and they think, oh, godless heathens. We're against them. No, we're for them. They need the gospel. And if you're going to talk to one of your atheist friends, wouldn't it be great to know some of the arguments they have against believing in God? It's not, it's not voodoo. You're not going to catch on fire. <laughs> Read it. Soak in the arguments. Don't be swayed. But soak in the... Listen, find out what the other side thinks. Now, once we get to this point where we've learned from both sides... Uh, and, and are informed. Now we, we run through this grid. And this is what Pete said, and I, I agree with it. There's probably other boxes, but these are a good start. The first one is life. The second one is compassion. And the third one is the answer that everybody gives when a parent or when a pastor asks a question, Jesus. And here's what he says, and I agree with him. If, if I'm going to make a choice... Is it going to lead to life? Because here's what we know about God and, and his son, Jesus. They're all about life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He, he, his emphasis is on bringing life, nurturing, uh, rescuing things from death. Okay? So is my choice going to lead to life? Uh, the reason I'm pro-life is because it leads to, one of the reasons is because it leads to life. Unborn children... I believe, should be protected. And they matter as much as the, the women. Are. Now, listen, I, 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 listen, I've listened to people who have said, yeah, but what about these cases where people can't afford to feed these kids or where, where mothers are pregnant outside of their will? It's a rape or something like that. I, man, it, it adds to, it's a great thing to consider. But in the end, I make my choice on being pro-life because I think God is about life. And someone needs to protect the unprotected. Come, oh, thank you. The second thing that we run things through is compassion. And now, and now listen, we, we don't want to be so compassionate that we, we, we're duped or that we fall into sin. But where I can express the, listen, where I can express the compassion of Christ in a situation, I want to be able to do that. I don't want to have this rigid, I can't do this, I can't go there lifestyle that, that ends up in legalism. I, I, want to, I want to head where, listen, I want to be available to whatever Christ wants me to do with whoever he wants me to do it with so that he gets the glory he deserves. And then finally, I want to ask this question. Would Jesus do this? Would Jesus think this? From what I know of him, and this is why it's so important you know your Bibles, but from what I know of him, does this sound consistent with his character? with his choices in life. That's the trump card. Can I see Jesus doing this? Now, a little caveat here. First of all, you'll notice that there's no box that has that in it. Usually when it comes to our politics and other big decisions in life, we go dollar sign and we forget to effectively think through things. Uh, what did Jesus say about serving God and money? You know, careful with that. But let's move on. You're going to get through this whole decision tree, and, and some of you are going to come out at the end of this process in a particular issue and sense that the Holy Spirit is leading you to say, no, I can't do that. Or some of you are going to come out of this end and be like, oh, yeah, I think that's okay for me. And here's the deal. Where the, the scriptures are silent on it, where things can't be 
uh, effectively argued to an end where you're like, absolutely, it's one or the other, you could both be right. Ooh, that's unsettling, isn't it? No one wants that. No one likes gray. Just tell me what to believe. I'll tell you that, listen, I will happily tell you what to believe when I know exactly what you're supposed to believe. I told you some of the things before. Remember the thing about taxes and, and alcohol? I know that stuff. But for everybody in here, there's, there's going to be this process sometimes that leads to us saying yes and no. Like, let's do guns. Anybody got a gun? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Not right now, I hope. Anyway, uh, but some people, especially in the South, guns are just a way of life. For others, especially heading up north, uh, guns are like the devil. All right? And good Christian folks on either side of this argument have done this process. Pray. Well, God, should I have a gun or not? Bible. Go to the verse on guns, right? Because everybody knows that verse. Thou shalt carry, right? Uh, it's in there. No, it's not in there. It's not in there. All right? So it talks about swords, and we can see, you know, that uh, certainly there's, you know, uh, wars in the Bible, and there could be, you know, but it also says thou shalt not murder. That's in there, right? Are you following me on this thing? All right, so, so do we have guns? Okay. Well, we get informed, and that doesn't mean wave your NRA card and be like, well, you know, out of my cold, dead hands, right? I mean, it's not... It's, it's, it's we ask the questions. What would, what, would, what, would, what would the other side say? And we don't go to them so that we can argue with them. We go to them so we can listen to them. We get informed. And then we say, all right, is me having a gun going to bring life? Some of you will argue, absolutely. Because if someone breaks into my house, I want them to die before they kill me or my family. But others will say, no, most of the crimes in America are caused because there's guns out there. And people get their hands on them and lots of people die senselessly because of guns. And you'll be passionate on either side. Are you feeling it? And you'll go, okay, we're going to give compassion to Christ. That's a little more difficult, right? It's hard to, you know, think of guns and compassion in the same one. But what would Jesus do? Would Jesus carry? Some of you would be like, yeah, he'd be just, he'd have the bullets, you know, going up and down. And, you know, he'd be, right? That'd be Jesus to some of you. But then some of you are like, no, he's the lamb of God. He's meek. And he's the guy who says to turn the other cheek. How could he possibly be caught carrying a gun? Well, you'll come down to this. You'll pray. You'll ask God. And some of you will be like, yeah, I'm keeping my guns. And some of you will be like, no, I'm never having a gun. And guess what? The Bible's not clear on it. Whatever the Holy Spirit leads you into it, that's where you got to go. Now, last thing, and I'll just read these verses and we'll go home. If you fall on one side or the other, here's just some, th- some verses to help you govern what you do next. Second uh, Timothy chapter 23, here we go. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Huge, huge verses. Here's what he just said. Don't use Facebook as a weapon. Don't be trolling on people that disagree with you on Facebook. I'm serious. I'm glad everybody can post their baby's pictures on Facebook. It's a great way for us to all communicate. It can be, in the wrong hands, the tool of Satan himself. Because here's what you have. You have keyboard courage. 
You'll say stuff behind a screen and a keyboard that you would never say to someone's face. Christians against Christians. Disagreeing on things the Bible's unclear on. Uh, they're, they're both in their rights by the Holy Spirit's leading to do as he leads. Just let it go. Listen, even if they're non-Christians, you don't win people to Christ by bludgeoning them with your arguments. You win people to Christ by gently loving them and correcting them. And so that's how we let the peace of God rule in us. Are you with me? There's got to be something in there for somebody in here. I pray that he leads us to the things I'm over time. Can I pray now? God, thanks for your word. Use it. uh, Glorify yourself through us and through it. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and obey Jesus. If you want to take a picture of it, I'll leave it up here. I'll be in the corner. God bless you as you go.